This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. The galaxies we hear, Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. Happy New Year to everybody. Welcome back. Um, 2021. Brianne, I can't believe it's finally 2021. We've we sort of weathered maybe 2020. (laughs) (laughs) We made it. It's 2021. Yeah, we made it. That's right. Um, and so this is, I told Brianne before I hit the record button, I don't remember what episode. So this is the first episode of 2021. We are still in season two and we are really hoping, um, with these sort of winter into spring episodes to, we're going to talk to a few people and we have a guest today. I'm so excited. Dr. Paula Clark has joined us again. She came earlier in the fall, um, to talk to us about what life was, what life is like during a pandemic with, um, you know, kids in school. And so we're going to revisit that conversation, but really the focus for the winter and spring, even though we're not entirely through the pandemic is going to be on healing and moving through the pandemic, because um, as Paula was excitedly sharing with us before the recording started, you know, K to 12 teachers um, in Ohio are in line for the vaccine here shortly. So even though we have a ways to go and we need to hunker down and keep wearing our masks and stay safe, I think that it's it's safe to say that we're starting to see um, maybe a glimmer of a light at the end of the tunnel, not super, super bright yet, but I can actually imagine getting together with my colleagues that I see on Zoom right now. Dr. Brianne <laughs> Roos has joined me as well as Dr. Paula Clark. So hello to both of you. Hello and happy new year. Yeah, and yes. happy new year. So. Um, so the other thing, um, we're going to, as I said, we're going to focus on healing. We're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, how your conception of belonging has our guests conception of belonging has changed and maybe adjusted and evolved through this pandemic lessons we've learned successes we've had, but I have to say that, you know, as we think about the pandemic, a tumultuous election, And now we've had this terrible siege on the U.S. Capitol. Um, When this hits, it will be um, less than a week ago. And I I don't say the word siege lightly. I think it's it's safe to say that it is it, it, it can be characterized as such. And it's appropriate that this podcast, this episode is the start of this need to heal, because I think we could all agree, um, regardless of your political bent, that our country needs to start healing Um, what that looks like. Uh, is really hard to articulate. Um, I don't have answers, as you know, from listening to this podcast. I don't claim to have all the answers. I have some ideas and I love to check in with my guests and other people. So I'm hoping that this winter and spring with lots of helps, with lots of help from amazing guests like Paula, um, we can begin the process as a community. So as an educator, I've been continually reminded to meet my students where they are. You know, we always talk about when you enter a classroom that that's just a good place to start to get to know your audience. And for much of 2020, and I think I can speak for Paula and Brianne, this has meant checking in about the pandemic, their health, their safety, their well-being, minute to minute, day to day, how are things going? And so today, as we begin this episode, I want to meet my guests and our audience where you are, where we are now where I am now after the insurrection at our U.S. Capitol. So while this episode and future conversations will focus on healing, I think we also need to pause today and talk just for a moment 
about those terrible events that unfolded last week. So in a moment, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to open it up to my guests on the podcast, Brianne and Paula. But before doing so, I wanted to offer a poem um, slash hymn that I heard this weekend. Um, I often do not feel like I have the words to articulate what's happening in these crises. So I look to the experts, the poets, the songwriters, and the artists to help. And so this woman, Amanda, and I hope I'm saying her last name correctly, Eudis Kessler, um, she wrote this after the most recent election, and it's called Rebuilding Starts with Weeping. Rebuilding starts with weeping, with tears that fall like rain, with full and honest grieving for years of loss and pain, for suffering and sorrow that never had to be. Rebuilding starts with weeping for all who are not free. Rebuilding starts with praying with hopes aloud, a voice with visions of our country, with reasons to rejoice. We offer up our spirits, our hearts and minds and hands. Rebuilding starts with praying for strength to heal our land. Rebuilding starts with loving, with care for every soul, with yearning and compassion that all may yet be whole. That enemy and neighbor may know a better day. Rebuilding starts with loving, for love will show the way. So as I said, I don't ever feel like I'm super articulate in these serious crises, and I'm, I'm hoping that that poem speaks to you out there, maybe a verse, maybe some phrase that she said. And the other thing I want to remind us of, and again, th these are hard conversations and hard things to think about, but I always, as you know, I'm a big Brene Brown fan, and she says during crises that we can pretend that we have nothing to learn, or we can take this opportunity to own the truth and make a better future for ourselves and others. And so I think, I mean, this has been a terrible crisis. The pandemic has been awful. And so we left 2020 with some hope that 2021 would be better. And then we turn around and we have the riots at the Capitol. And yet I still think it's an and and both, not an either or. And what I mean, my mean by that is as hard as it is, we have to figure out how to own our truths, whatever that is for you or as a group, a community, as a country and make it better and be better so we can be better for others. And so Brianne and Paula, I know for me, this would be a hard question to answer and I'll try right along with you, but I'm interested to hear as you reflect on the pandemic, the riots at the Capitol, what is a truth we as a country need to own and how might we start to heal and make it better? And when I say we, it could be we as a country or you as a teacher, you as a parent, whatever, however you identify. So any thoughts on that or anything else? Um, well, you know, I don't like sp spontaneous questions. I know you it's don't. It's truly but... spontaneous. <laughs> it <laughs> um, is. But I, I guess one of the truths that shocked me, two things really shocked me and continue to sort of hurt and plague um, from that day. One was that I think it's easier to accept that if you look at the people who stormed the Capitol as like those people, like I can't even imagine those people until I heard that somebody from our school was there from my kid's school. And I was like, it's not those people. I mean, I don't think that they were people who were storming. I think that they were there peacefully protesting yeah, hundred percent, but nonetheless, it just rubbed me the wrong way um, to see pictures and, and that kind of thing. But um, so that there's that is that the truth. And even in the poem, you said loving care for every soul. And that's the line. I think of the whole thing that you just read that like, that's the hardest one for me. Um, and that's really, I think the ultimate calling. So that's, that's one thing. And then the other truth is what a good friend of color posted almost immediately after the violence started, which is just imagine if that mob were people of color. Yeah. As we watched them like walk past the police and bang, you know, windows out and, and all that. It was so violent and so horrific. And and her post um, made me think of that first. I didn't think of that myself. Mm -hmm. As I was watching it unfold, that was not my first thought. Hmm. And so I read hers and I was like, oh my gosh, she's, she's a hundred thousand percent right. And then it was popping up all over the place. But I, 
I felt shame that I didn't think of it immediately. And then when I read it from her, I was almost glad because I was could like hear the pain in her words. Um, so I think those are the truths that it's not just like an us and them situation there. It's everybody that we have to get along. And, um, and the, and the, what if they were people of color, it just would have been a horrible massacre. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, this idea of othering is an important one to keep in mind, right? That's sort of a, an easy way to, to push it aside, right. To, to say, well, it was them. And, you know, I think in, try to think what book it is where Brene Brown talks about leaning in. Is it the dare to lead book where you, if you lean in and you have to look at the person, right. It makes a difference that you have to sort of see who they are and that they're not so different than you. So, yeah. And yes. And the, it's interesting how we have different perspectives or different things that pop into our head. Cause I differently bring, um, Brianne thought immediately of the Black Lives Matters when they came to the the Capitol and the the picture of the National Guard standing out there. So very different treatment of a different peaceful, you know, what was actually a peaceful protest. So, right. Yeah. But I'm glad that you also brought that up. Paula, I, I know we, we we invited you on this podcast to talk about belonging <laughs> and to reflect on the yep. fall. And I emailed you this morning and boom, we're asking you to talk about really heavy topics. So I appreciate you being a good sport. You have some sure. words of wisdom for us. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm not sure they're words of wisdom, <laughs> but thoughts for sure. Um, as you were reading the poem and you kept, you know, referring to rebuilding and rebuilding. And it just reminded me in a class I taught recently, um, there was a uh, video presentation and they, the speaker talked about Frederick Turner Jackson's view of higher education, which is that we are a frontier society. Mm-hmm. And um, when you said rebuilding, it made me think of it only because it was this premise that we have always lived as we can start over. Um, and so, you know, along with the, you know, the topic of healing, I don't think it's the same situation. I don't think we can just erase it and start over because Mm -hmm. there is so much baggage. So I think the healing isn't just, you know, let's move to new ground. Let's begin again. It's really, we have to address the Black Lives Matter. We have to address what's causing this. We have to address the divisions in our countries. And, And really, I was, you know, I was concerned about returning to school and having students ask questions. Um, My students are very quiet um, about like appropriate times to bring up issues. And so I brought it up with them just to see what their thoughts were after after, um, the riots. And they they didn't wanna talk long about it, but you know, in, in, in thinking about how I was gonna approach it with them, I was looking up ways to talk to children about this, like how to present this, um, you know, in ways that don't scare them and ways that open the conversation. And, and really it boiled down to, and this kind of goes along with the healing is you have your right and wrong, right? So mm-hmm. there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And I know we've talked before about standards and, and having standards and whose standards they are. But if we could agree on what is right and what is wrong. And, and really in, in the moments following when Congress reconvened and they were showing the senators and the representatives that spoke up and were actually, you know, objecting to the election results. And I didn't watch all of it, but the ones that spoke initially immediately stopped. And they said, you know what, no objections, let's move forward, we need. So I think they were setting that example of the beginning of how we can heal. Um, Let's hope that that is something that they believe in and that will continue. And it wasn't just for the sake of that moment. Um, but that really struck me as powerful, their message in, in just getting up and saying, let's move forward. We need to work together. Yeah, that's I, I appreciate that, Paula. I think that's why I, I grabbed that Brene Brown quote this morning, because this idea of, you know, acknowledging and noticing and saying out loud our truths. Right. I think that really speaks um, to what you're referring to, is that you can't just sort of wash over it. Right. We we can't just keep. I mean, we are built on racism. It's part of our history, right? And from that spawned lots and lots of difficulties for lots of people of color in all different shapes and sizes. And we can no longer ignore that, that it's built into our systems. And so I appreciate that you you reminded us of that and this notion of, you know, I mean, it being revolutionary in a, in a different sort of way, right? Like dismantling some of these old structures um, and trying to build a new um, along with the healing makes a lot of sense. 
Um, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, there's no, you know, when I think about how I would respond, I think I, I read this morning and I, I can't remember now if it was from the Atlantic monthly or from Politico, but the, the article was something like, um, is this how we've always been is, you know, like people are so people are acting so surprised by the, the riot. And I think the surprise is maybe the level of violence, which, you know, we're used to, unfortunately, we're used to seeing that in other countries, right. Or at other embassies around the world, but perhaps the surprise is the violence. And I think what this author was suggesting is what you said, Paula, we actually, if we took a close look <laughs> at ourselves, um, we shouldn't be all that surprised that um, a group of predominantly probably all, I can't say all, cause that's a really certain term. White people were storming the U S Capitol for feel that fear that they were losing their white privilege. Let's call it what it is. Right. And so, um, that's been with us for a very long time. And this article does such a beautiful job of like articulating our history of how this has just happened over and over again, whether it was Democrats or Republicans when, you know, when slavery came about and, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, so <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot to take in. Right. So, um, the start of 2021 has definitely not been easy. I think the, the silver lining, if we dare use a term like that is that, Joe Biden, um, with the control of the House and Senate, perhaps, again, regardless of your political bent, I'm just grateful that it's someone who perhaps will be more reasonable and humane. Um, you know, in these in these moments, trying to find and I'm trying to segue into our discussion of belonging. The tricky thing about building connection as community is you try to find ways to connect and engage. And I feel like with someone like Joe Biden, there is a, an agreement at a at a very base level that people's lives matter, Every, you know, that people individually, their contribution, he values, I, I believe in my heart that he values the contribution of every individual, regardless of race, religion, et cetera. So Brian, were you going to say something? I was because I just started listening to Obama's book. I mean, I have, I don't know, a year to go because it's so long, but <laughs> I'm like four or five hours in. And, and one of the things, there's so many wonderful things in it so far, but one of the things that I was just listening to yesterday was he was talking about his relationship with George W. Bush. And he said, you know, I, I fundamentally disagreed with him on pretty much every policy, like across the board, but he deeply respected him as a man and as a human. And he felt like that was a mutual respect. And that, that line, I just feel like we've lost that line currently and mm -hmm. that's what's missing like of course we can disagree on policy that's that's how we were built we were yeah. built so that there is you know room to disagree and and come to a um consensus right yeah. and then move forward and everybody's sharing their opinions so it's not that we all have to have the same ideas but there has to be a fundamental mutual respect and you know the other thing that i'm learning in this book i is just the, the work that it takes to be a politician, to become a politician, mm -hmm. um, you know, what it is to campaign and, and the hours and the days and the time and all of this. And I don't, I don't appreciate that generally when I look at the new, when I watch the news and I think of these people, but I thought of it when I watched them reconvene. And it's just like, oh my gosh, you all worked really hard, regardless of which side you're on to earn the seats that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, and to just disrespect them as people and the institution for which they're working and therefore all of us just kind of made it that much harder to swallow. Um, so totally recommend the book. Um, and I can just leave it on a, a note of levity. I was talking to my daughters who are 11 and 14 and we're watching it on the news and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just, this is history again. And they were both like, we're sort of sick of living through these historical moments, like <laughs> because Catherine Atkinson from the fall told mm -hmm. us that, you know, they're her students are a primary source. And so I use that with my kids all the time. Like, what, listen, like you have to remember this experience. You're the primary source. They're like, right. we are done with being the primary source. <laughs> right. We'd like to read about this, please. <laughs> right. We don't Later. consent anymore. We're not right. signing that consent <laughs> to be your participant anymore. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that. This sort of um, my partner kept talking about just getting back to civility because we were trying to explain yeah. to our oldest son what what was going on and we were trying to and so the word civility just came up right it's just civility what you can disagree until the cows come home mm -hmm. but this is about being civil and I remember not to get too wonky on the audience but 
you know, books have been written about, you know, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill um, being really good friends, they would disagree and debate furiously when debate was appropriate, but then they would go and have dinner together or they would have a drink together or whatever. And so I think we need more of that, right? Mm -hmm. We need that yeah. civility to see each other as human beings. And I have to say, um, and folks know it, I, I disagree with Mike Pence on so many, so many levels. And I had so much respect for the way he has mm -hmm. carried himself for the past week. And it reminded me that he is also a human being um, who has a moral standard. And by God, he stood by his moral standard and, you know, did what he thought was right. And so even with folks that I politically would never be even in the same, you know, sandbox, mm -hmm. um, I can see, you know, I can I can see my way through to respect um, his decisions. And so we need we just need more of that. Well, and I, and I think it just reminds me, and I don't know if it was on this podcast or another one that we've worked on together, but we talked about belonging. And, and since that's what the podcast is, is about, is finding similarities among people, right? And, and, we, and maybe we don't focus enough on how we're sim similar. We focus on how we're different. I know right afterward, when they were interviewing the congressmen and women and representatives, my friend's son asked her, why do they continue to show if they're Democrat or Republican, what does that matter? They're mm -hmm. just speaking. And they were showing it to show that, you know, collectively people were against what happened. Um, but he's right in a way, you know, in a much, much simpler, much simpler stage that, you know, wh why do we point out differences? Let's, let's point out similarities. Yeah, that's, that's great, Paula. And I think, um, as we move into our conversation about how things have been going and to check in with you, um, I think reminding ourselves that similarities don't have to be political views, experiences, attributes, education level. It could just be like, I mean, this conversation, we all acknowledge that none of us really had any idea what we would say, but that we agreed it was important. That's similarity, right? You don't, it doesn't have to be on a, a thing. It can just be like, this work's important. That's a similarity and being able to come to that agreement. And so I think it's, it's really, um, I'm trying to segue and hopefully my audience is giving me some grace on the segue, but I think it's appropriate to be thinking about and reflecting on the pandemic because again, I hate to use silver lining that cliche because this pandemic has been just awful for so many people in so many different ways. And yet I do think that we have found similarities, even if it's a terrible, terrible pandemic that have pushed us, encouraged us, and in some ways forced us to slow down, to connect, to listen, to check in, to do all of those things that we know are important, but sometimes fall to the bottom of the to-do list. And so, you know, finding those similarities, well, we had one sort of plopped right on us that we all had this pandemic in common, at least that we had to endure it. Not maybe that the experience may look different, but the endurance of that experience is, is similar for sure. And so I just want to remind our audience that, um, Brian and I are fortunate enough to have Dr. Paula Clark back with us uh, for this episode. Paula is a career K-12 educator. She teach high, high school math in a public school district in Northeast Ohio. I wish I had taken math from a great educator like Paula. My, my math teachers uh, traumatized me, so <laughs> I wish I had had Paula. Um, Paula is passionate about creating authentic conceptual-based learning experiences for her student. And as a learner herself, she believes strongly in the relationship between continuous educator development and the student learning. Um, so Paula, again, welcome and thank you so much for coming back and thank you for being such a good sport in in pivoting yet again <laughs> <laughs> you always have surprises for us. yes i do well, <laughs> it wouldn't be my po our podcast if i didn't have surprises right so mm. so we've sort of talked a little bit about what's going on in your sort of neck of the woods right now paula but i do want to check in and see you know, after having a little bit of a break over the winter, um, how are you doing? Like, how, how are you holding up? How are you feeling? What's your outlook for the winter into the spring? Yeah, everything's good. I, I feel I was just talking to a colleague today and I feel like 
you know, we're, we're in for a change right now. We're fully remote. We have been since November. And on January 19th, our students that have chosen to come back are coming back in person. Mm. Um, so I feel like, and maybe this is the, the true definition of a teacher learner, <laughs> is I feel just when I have this under my belt and I have a routine down and things are going smooth, it's about to be blown up again um, on the 19th. And, you know, we're switching back to a different type of learning. So it's always keeping me on my toes. But uh, I think the kids are excited to get back. Some of them are nervous, for sure. I took a survey today, and I was very surprised that not all of them um, gave it a scale of five. I'm ready to come back. A lot mm. of them were in the one to two range. They were mm. still a little nervous. And, you know, they're not all coming back. They get to choose. So it'll be a hybrid model. Um, but I guess it's always just keeping me on my toes and not letting me settle. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I think Brianne can probably relate to that going, coming into the Loyola spring that she's about to face. Right. Yeah, Brianne. Yes. Yep. For sure. Yeah. We were fully remote and walking into hybrid next week. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of rough for sure. Um, so Paula, we were thinking before, you know, before we got on about what you had said in the fall, which really seems like so long ago, but, <laughs> you know, we asked you initially about your concept of belonging and two words that you used um, were dynamic and a sense of reciprocity. And so I'm curious, we are curious if your concept of belonging has changed since that discussion. Um, I, I think it, it's, it stayed the same in a lot of ways. I do think that it's a two-way street for sure, um, as I described. You know, so so I don't know if there's a word for it, but you you definitely have somebody that new coming on that needs to be welcomed, that needs to show that they're valued, that needs to show that their input matters. Um, but as that new person also, or even as an experienced person in the group, um, you have your role, and you need to show that that you care about the others in your group as well. So I do think it's a dynamic and a two-way street. Um, I think another word that came to my mind when I was thinking of anything that I might add to my definition is that it's participatory. Mm. Um, so yeah, you have to be involved. I mean, I think of my students that that don't participate, you know, no matter um, what we try, the polls we take, the discussions we have, the breakout rooms, um, some students just are still hesitant and they don't participate. Um, it doesn't mean that they belong any less for sure, but I'm just wondering what their experiences are and, and if they feel that belonging um, because of that lack of participation for, for whatever reason it is. Um, I was looking at the definition again of the word belonging and it's categorized as a noun, but I, I really think it's a verb, right? So you have to be participatory participatory, you have to be active, um, you have to show that others value in your group as much as they show you that you value as well. Yeah, I have to say that um, after Brian and I talked to you, that word dynamic just like stuck with me. I loved how you had described it. And again, it feels so appropriate for this this whirlwind of change and learning. And, and just when you think you have it, you know, like you said, Paula, my sons or my kids' teachers are doing the same thing. They had to, they were face to face. So they had gotten in a rhythm and then boom, they went remote. And now they're all like, Oh my gosh, now we have to do online learning. So right. Um, right. I also really appreciate your sort of making it an action verb and being engaged. I'm getting ready this evening to do a, a webinar on online engagement, student online engagement. And it's really, you know, it's like sometimes trying to um, solve a puzzle, right? How do you, how do you engage the different diverse individuals on that zoom call, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's tricky trying, you feel like you're taking out everything in your tool toolkit to figure it out. And, and you just have to keep trying. So thank you also for reminding us that it is participatory. That was great. Yeah. So. yeah, it just feels like you're just keep pedaling. Like that's the feel that I have. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, we got to keep going, keep going. This didn't work or it worked for a few, but it didn't work for everybody. Nothing's going to work for everybody. Nothing probably worked for everybody even before, to mm -hmm. be honest with you. But earlier this morning, I was talking with a colleague. We're teaching the same course in the spring and we were talking about engagement and um, even things like tests and assessment and how are we going to do this in a hybrid situation? It's just so complex. And I said, I just feel like I've lost control. And I love to have some nice tight control <laughs> over things. 
And it's not, I mean, it's like, it's a mess essentially. Like, I think it's going to be fine. And I think if we go into it saying we're all in this together, just like I did in the fall and that was, it worked out. Like it was very hard, but it worked out. And I think ultimately it was successful. I, I believe that this will be fine as well, but it's messy to, to kind of figure out and to identify the things that mean a lot to the students, like clarity of expectations. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What are, what do they need to do to be successful? I'm like, I'm not exactly sure because I don't know if I'm going to need a subscription to this or if you're going to need, you know, like the, the nitty gritty of engagement is not easy. Um, and I feel like we're just like, I'm just on a bike that hasn't stopped. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, it reminds me, um, it was on one of, I'm trying to remember who her guest was, if it was, um, the Thea, is that her last name? Or she talked about activity bias, I'm trying to remember which oh, one it was. Action bias. Yeah. Action bias. Yeah. Action yep. bias. This notion, if a, if a human being has a choice between acting or doing nothing, they always choose acting, even if it's not the most appropriate or efficient way forward. And it made me think that, you know, while I have often felt like I'm on a bicycle as well, I think the pandemic has in some ways given me permission to just stop, to sort of get out, get out of that action bias and just to say, I don't know about you students, but I need a breath for just a moment. Like, can we just pause? And like, I don't know what to do. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know what to do. Um, to me, that's also been really powerful in trying to cultivate community and belonging. And so I think, I think as much as I agree, Paula, that it's dynamic in the sense of it's an action word. I also think there's an element of belonging that's sort of you know, when you know, you know, when you have a really good friend is when you can sit in that what is awkward silence and the mm -hmm. silence isn't awkward. I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that in the belonging for me as well. I don't know, Paula, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree for sure. And, and just because it to me is a is a verb does and you're right. It doesn't mean that you have to be physically doing something. I think, you know, one of the things that I thought of when I thought about a definition or a con my conception of the word belonging is that you're missed when you're not there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like, when I think of my students, even if they're not actively involved in class or responding to the questions or answering the polls, they're still there. I see, I see them, you know, I know they're there, they're attentive. Um, and when they're not there, I look for them. Right. And, and so I'm worried about them. I wonder where they are. And, and again, my concern I know that they're important to me. I know they belong in the class. And I just wonder sometimes what their feelings are. Are they capturing that same sense of belonging? Do they feel like they belong in the class? I, I gave a survey to one of my classes to ask them about preferences for group members. And I try to give them a preference. And so they at least have one friend in the group. And out of the 24 students, one student could not name any names. And she just said, I'll work with anyone. Now she's a lovely student and she would be willing to work with anyone. But the fact that she didn't name someone that she connected with concerns me. And, and that's, you know, again, that quietness Yes, it's necessary, um, but those are sometimes the ones I worry about just because I don't know what where they're coming from. Yeah, for sure. I think reaching out to them, I've found that <clears throat> sometimes I've wondered a lot and then I'll just say, why don't I just ask? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just send them an email and say, whatever it was, like I noticed you weren't in class today or you seemed really quiet or your answers on that test were so good. I would love to hear your voice in class a little bit. Like, is there a reason, you know, and they always get back to me and they always are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking. Like mm -hmm. they can't believe that their <laughs> absence out. was mm -hmm. missed. Yeah. Right. Like they almost can't believe that they belong. And mm -hmm. when we point it out and it takes five seconds to just get out of my own head about like, what did I do or not do that's right or wrong? It's not mm -hmm. that at all. It's, it's whatever's going on with her. Um, so I, I love that. Um, noticing when people aren't there, that's a really mm -hmm. great way to think about it. Mm -hmm. So Paula, you mentioned that you were fully remote through November and mm -hmm. that on, I think you said January 19th, <laughs> things yep. will change. Yep. So I'd love to know just the details of that. Like, what is it going to look like for you? I guess they, students have the choice. So it's a hybrid mm -hmm. model. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really it's not new to us. It's how we started the year. 
Um, so when we started the year, we had um, some students choose to attend remote and some live. So while I'm teaching live, I'm also um, through Google Meet, you know, uh, meeting with the students that are at home. Um, so it's not new. Um, in November, we went full remote and now we're coming back to, to this model. Um, but that doesn't mean that it didn't change. I think there's a lot of changes that have occurred just through you know, the last month or so, at least in terms of how I'm approaching it, what my comfort level is, um, and definitely what my focus is. I know we've talked before about um, you know, what really matters. And when, and, and I think Carrie, you talked about this really early on in a different podcast about when it's all said and done, what are we gonna carry away with us? What's important, what matters? And for me, my focus in terms of the students has changed, right? So, you know, before I was concerned with so much, I guess I'm concerned about them learning the content, but I was concerned with, of course, you know, discipline issues and cell phones and are they cheating and are they doing all those like, <laughs> not that those aren't important, but that's gone. And, and at least for me, um, in terms of the focus is, is I'm, I'm going by their needs. I, I'm giving surveys left and right. They're probably tired of the surveys I'm giving them, but I'm trying to you know, implement that in my teaching. What are their thoughts? So really I'm letting them help build the structure of the mm -hmm. class. And, and you know, what's important to me is that their experience is good. You know, I've read a lot about, and, and we all know that you know, teaching remotely and in the, even in this hybrid model is not just duplicating what you do in the classroom on a daily basis. You have to purposely and with intention, and there's another word we've talked about before, um, with intention, design these lessons. And so I just reached out to the students for it. Uh, what are you doing in other classes? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? You know, surprisingly, they want things to be scaled down just a bit because everybody's trying all kinds of things and they, they want it to be a little more routine. Um, but, you know, it is through their surveys and their answers and, and, and the feedback they're giving me that I'm designing my lessons. So in terms of a learner educator, I'm learning from them about what they need as a remote learner because I didn't know, right? This is a brand new experience for me after 30 years of teaching. I have never had an experience like this before. Um, so, you know, I feel like I'm definitely more courageous in telling the kids, I don't know what to do. And they're right along there with me and, and willing to help. And, you know, I think really to cultivate that sense of belonging as well, um, they're seeing me implement their suggestions. So, uh, you know, my statistics kids asked for guided notes where I was thinking, oh, they can just take notes based on what I say in class and what we do together in terms of activities. And, and they wanted guided notes. So sure enough, the next day there were the guided notes and, and they saw that. So I think that that's cultivating belonging because they're seeing that I'm, you know, implementing some of their suggestions and, and trying to reach, reach their needs. So, you know, in terms of, yes, we started the year in the same way we're gonna switch to on the 19th, but for me, it looks very different. Yeah, that's Which is, that's so I mean, I think that's so powerful. I love when when a strategy you use has sort of multiple benefits, right? Because it's like learning theory, of course, tells us when you engage the students in the process and you're co-constructing the strategies and the meaning, like the, the learning is just deeper, richer, longer lasting. So like from a learning standpoint, from a math or statistics, that's just huge, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think selfishly, the other piece is you're building this amazing community because y y without saying it, you're trusting them to, mm -hmm. to bring bring their own contribution, right? So it's like, you're showing that you value them, you're trusting them, you're, you're using their ideas. So reinforcing that trust. And oh my gosh, I just think this is why Paula should have been my math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'm you're, I mean, expert, the yeah. lessons you are sharing with your students are going to outlast the time that they spend with you. Cause like mm -hmm. now the crazy thing is Polly, you're going to have people not liking you so much because they're going to have, you have set the bar high <laughs> for future educators that there's going to be an expectation that the students get to contribute in some way, which is fantastic. So, well, and I, and I really think it's not like I'm an expert by any means and I'm just trying to stay afloat like my colleagues are and they're doing amazing things. But I, I feel like what we've talked about in terms of being a learner educator, it's just about the willingness to say, I don't know this and I need to learn it and, and be honest with the kids. And that, that, if anything, has taken me the farthest this year. I think, 
you know, coupled with with the learning educator podcast we do and this podcast, if it wasn't for that, I might not be in the position I am to be so accepting of what I'm learning from my students. Like, I think it was just the timing was right and everything, if a pandemic was gonna happen, it happened at this time when all of these pieces do come together for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, well, first of all, I shared um, one of my sort of shorts at the end of the fall with my students, actually before I aired it, before I recorded it for this which was kind of a neat thing to like have that experience with them first, but it was a reflection all about the fall and what that was as an educator. And all along, particularly with that course, they're seniors and I've known them for so long. Um, I was very open with them about, you know, how do you think I should move forward this way or this way, or what else is happening in the other classes, Paula, always with the surveys and the reflections. And even at the end of a test, I'm like, okay, now reflect on that experience. They're probably like, oh my God, with the reflection. but it was really helpful to get their feedback. And like you, I, I made some concrete changes. The word that kept coming to mind for me um, in listening to you speak about your relationship with your students is rapport. And that's something that we use in our clinical world a lot. And it really just means the mutual respect between the client and the clinician. So the mutual respect between the student and the teacher, that's listening and that's changing based on their feedback. And that makes all the difference in the world, I think. And for me, you know, I made mistakes in the fall that I don't typically make because I think I was so overwhelmed, but like details, little things, I just would, you know, miss post or something like that. Um, and that really bothered me because I feel like the students are stressed enough. They don't have to deal with my little mistakes. Like I owe it to them to have my ducks in a row. But I was like, I'm so sorry. Like this is the fall. It's just crazy. And it was really honest with them about kind of what was going on. And that was the message that came through in their evaluations was like, she involved us. It, it, that's what made the difference. And it was mm -hmm. so great to hear that and to read that and to know that like those things, they really do work. Cause I think we do a nice job of talking about it and we know that we do it, but to hear it from the students at the end of such a hard semester, for mm -hmm. me, it made it real. Like that rapport is a real thing. Belonging is a real thing. Um, and that vulnerability. And I think it really depends on vulnerability for all, from all of us. Absolutely. I, I feel like too, you would think that it would be easier in person, but I think this year more than ever, and maybe because I was intentional about it, that I, I do know my students better and I've reached out to them more and I've asked them, you know, we start every period with how's everybody doing or a funny joke or so in, in, and in class, you know, when I was teaching in person, it was like, here's the routine. We start when the bell rings. We do this, we do this, we do this. We got, you know, and, and that has, you know, gone by the wayside and it is more about relationships and, and making sure the kids know that we're here and that we care for them, um, you know, because they're not going to learn, obviously, if that isn't in place. Yeah, I, I would add, um, so Brianne said the word she, that came to mind was rapport. The word that mm -hmm. I've been sort of sitting with lately and it, and it comes up as I listen to you is um, wisdom. Because we, and I say the three of us, I'm looking at all three of us on the Zoom, we always shy away from the word expert, right? None of us claim the word expert because it feels, to me, it feels hierarchical. And, you know, I have this piece of knowledge and I'm, I'm all knowing and I never feel like I'm all knowing because I hold that learner identity. So I always, um, with certainty, <laughs> say I'm not an expert. And so I think the word that I, I like um, is wisdom. And I like that word because if you look it up, and I did look it up, it's the ability to use your experience and knowledge in order to make sensible decisions. So it really is the application of whatever expertise you have amassed over your career, your life, and then applying it in reasonable, effective ways. And so I, I think there's a wisdom there, Paula. I think that you've spent a lot of time being a teacher. You've spent a lot of time working hard to become, you know, a doctor of education and you have found a way to translate and sort of stick in a, a mixing bowl, all of that stuff and mix it up mm -hmm. and apply it in ways that you didn't even know were coming. Right. I mean, that's real wisdom. Like this is you didn't read about how do you teach online during a pandemic, right? Like nobody learned, nobody, that's like, that's true adaptation of your knowledge and your experience. And so I like to think that there's some wisdom there. Um, if you don't like the word expertise, I think wisdom is definitely appropriate there. So 
That's that's all I'm going to say about that. What do you think, yeah. Paula? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I like. In fact, I heard on a similar note. I heard um, this morning. It was actually on uh, author on CNN was talking about a book by Tom Vand Vanderbilt, who is apparently um, a championship chess player, mm -hmm. and he wrote a book called Beginners the joy and transformative power of lifelong learning. And it was just giving a little brief introduction to the book, but rather than talking about being um, a novice, he talks about having a beginner mindset. Mm. And it's just that idea of, of if you have that mindset where I'm going to, I'm going to learn something from this. It's about being curious. And, and to your point about, you know, developing wisdom and being able to apply things um, and, and that was kind of his premise is that, you know, we have to have this beginner mindset. And if you have that, it removes barriers to learning, yeah, right? Sure. So, so whether it's our learning or our students learning and, and, and really they even connected the book to um, a practice, I guess, beginner mindset is a practice, practice of Zen Buddhism. Hmm. Um, and it's yeah. just a, a reflective, you know, a reflective mindset that that makes how you approach everything right so it's your perspective and your approach and if you approach it to I, i'm going to learn something today as we've talked about um then everybody learns i think you absolutely know. yeah i'm definitely gonna i just wrote down that book because i need yeah. a i need a light book that's not because brianne brianne had texted me the other day and said had i read the obama book and i was like I haven't, I want to, but I don't I have time something. to read yeah. 800 pages. So <laughs> I'm trying to read short, yeah. lighter books right now and then save that one uh, maybe for the summer. So um, the other sort of set of questions that I wanted to ask you about, Paula, and you've already touched on it a little bit. So thinking about this beginner mindset and having a curiosity and everybody having a role as a learner in in this situation. Um we talked, you know, when you came in the fall, we talked about sort of challenges that you were facing and how you were planning to overcome them. And so I guess what I'm particularly interested in, and I think our audience would be interested in, is I would love to hear a few more takeaways. And in particular, takeaways that not only might you apply in the spring, but like, again, I see a very tiny glimmer of light at the end of this tunnel. And so when we think about post-pandemic, are there, there, are there things that you're doing now that you're going to hold on to as a teacher, as this educator um, that you hope to sort of continue to use or, or implement? Yes. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, I recently, and I can't quote the name, but I recently read an article about what it's going to look like when we do return. So mm -hmm. in Ohio, they're going to start vaccinate, vaccinating teachers very soon in the hopes of returning all students to school by March. Um, and the article spoke about how when students return, teachers are going to go into this like makeup mode, right? So we've got to make up for lost time and they're going to talk. And it even said they're going to talk longer. They're going to talk faster and they're going to try to cram everything in because now we have the students in front of us. And I know we, the three of us have talked before about, you know, how is this gonna permanently change education and, and what's it gonna look like? And we hope that it doesn't go back to the way it was. Uh, but this article alluded to the fact that it, you know, it's going to, teachers are gonna need to cram this information in. Mm -hmm. And I guess the key takeaway for me and what I have to intentionally focus on every day is just to slow things down, to slow things down and not forget what I've learned remotely, not forget that I need to check in with my students, that I need to keep things light. Um, the content will come if those students, you know, feel like they belong. Um, so it's a matter for me of, of just slowing down and taking the time to have that. I mean, I used to have this routine where that bell rang and there was already a note on the board of what you get started on until mm -hmm. I take attendance and we do this. And it wasn't that it was so rigid that I didn't develop a rapport with my students, but you know, I need to let go of some of that. And I need to have time where, like you said, Carrie, you know, just sit in the quiet, right? And, and mm -hmm. let the kids be quiet for a few minutes and gather their thoughts and gather, you know, and again, I don't know if it's coming out of the EDD program, but I found myself and, and very recently, like over winter break, um, caught in this, I have 15 minutes, I could be doing this, I could be doing that, I'm wasting time just standing here, I shouldn't, you know, and it really takes a while to come down from that mentality mm -hmm. and, and learn to just appreciate the moment, 
like you have said in other podcasts, both you and Brianne, lean in, listen, pay attention, live in the moment. And I think that's true of our students as well, because if not, it's, it's in that student discourse, um, that's where you learn about them. And if you don't allow that to happen, that's when you miss those opportunities to, to know your students, to reach out to your students. Um, so if nothing else, for me, my key takeaway is, you know, again, content is important, but to really make that secondary to developing relationships with my students. Paul, that makes me think about, you know, is there value in talking with our colleagues and like concretely identifying lessons learned? Like what were the things that you did that worked really well in the fall? Online, fully online. Mm -hmm. How are you mm -hmm. gonna try to carry some of those things over to the spring for us, which is hybrid? And then the same thing again, like, can we not lose that? Can we be really intentional about naming, mm -hmm. identifying, discussing those things um, so that we don't lose them? I would love to do that. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about doing that in such a kind of a formal way with colleagues, but I, I wonder if that would be helpful to just really sort of unpack things. I think we were so done and fried mm -hmm. at the end, but the truth is that there was quite a bit that we all learned. Right. You know, and, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because what I haven't talked about and what I'm fearful of, or not, I guess fearful isn't the word, um, but I've been talking a lot about the students and developing belonging with them. Um, we have not, and it's it's because of the nature of, of the remote learning, got together as a faculty mm. since probably October. Um, right now, if I look out in this hallway, there are only three of us in the building in my hallway because teachers were given the option to work from home um, while we're remote. And there's no there's no connection. I haven't talked to some of my colleagues and through my fault as well in terms of reaching out to them through email or Zoom. We haven't had faculty meetings. We haven't had department meetings. Um, and so, you know, I miss that. And I, I feel like I, I was here one morning early and needed help um, from the office staff and there was not a soul in the building. I was like the only one here. And I just felt like, okay, we're connecting with the students but we can't forget to connect with each other um, because we are the ones creating these experiences and, and we do have a wealth of knowledge that we could share with each other um, if we can just get back together. So hopefully on the 19th, we are gonna return and some of that will come back because uh, that's one thing I miss for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think the other thing for me that you brought up, Paula, that's really interesting, and it's probably a longer conversation that maybe we should table and do you dare come back again for another episode <laughs> after I drop the bomb on you, um, is this sort of, you know, idea of this, this slide, right? Um, look, I'm not naive. I know, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we all had to endure this pandemic, but the ways in which we did it, the tools we had available, the privilege that we had or didn't have made all the difference. I get that. And so I'm not naive to think that no one in our school system had a slide. I just feel like it's so much more complicated than just saying it's a slide and we need to cram third grade math into my nine-year-old because mm. I would argue, I mean, there's so many ways you could take this argument. One, how do you know that it's the pandemic? Like, how do you know that without the pandemic, this, this student wouldn't have experienced this and been in that sort of what place in terms of scores or aptitude? Two, what if you have a kid like, I mean, I'll use my son as an example. I doubt very seriously that his math skills have, have um, experienced any sort of slide, but emotionally, and psychologically and sort of from a belonging standpoint, he needs attention and he mm -hmm. needs work and he needs. So I just feel like when we say there's a slide and we need to cram, I feel like we're missing the nuance of what that might look like. Um, and I, I just hope that we don't just jump back on the sort of traditional K to 12. Speaking of what you said earlier, Paula, right. about rebuilding structures, right? We don't just mm -hmm. jump back into that structure that wasn't working so well for everybody and rethink what is cramming really, what should it look like? I don't know, do you have a thought about that, Paula? Well, and I, I feel like we can take the lead and I don't know a lot about the higher education world, Brianne, maybe you can speak to this, but I do know from what I've read that, oh, the, they're laxing their entrance requirements and they're mm -hmm. you know, not having uh, testing count as much and you can apply you know, and get in um, by application and essay and such. And we need to take the lead they're they're giving us the lead we need to follow that um because i feel like 
and again, again, this could be a whole other podcast, but that whole accountability measure is like so ingrained in we must measure, we must measure, you know, um, that, that that's when we lose sight of what's really important. And, you know, are there measures, are the measures that we're using effective mm -hmm. on measuring student growth? So to your point of, you know, I could give my kids a measure at the end of the year, but can I say it's because of the pandemic is the me measure even accurate for what I want to measure? And I think that's something we need to look at as, as a nation is how we're, you know, measuring accountability in schools, because I, I gave another survey to my students. And one of the <laughs> things I asked them was if they could create a class, um, what would it be? Like if they could just create a class or what do you wish you could learn? And I mean, hands down, they wanted classes that had direct application, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to learn how to cook. Some of them said, I wish we had a class on how to do life skills, like changing a tire. And like, they, they want to learn practical things. So going back to authentic learning and authentic learning experience, they're begging for that. And, and, you know, how do we measure that? We, we can't yeah. teach it because we can't measure it, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Lots to cover on another episode. See, Paula, you keep saying these great things and then you just have to come back for another episode. So just stop being so wise All and right. maybe we'll stop inviting you back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, you want to wrap us up? I think we're getting close here. Yeah. I mean, I guess we had one more question, Paula, and maybe you've touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to give you the chance to really articulate it. So you've done a nice job talking about your students. Of course, you always start with them and then your colleagues. How about you? So how have you changed kind of personally as, as somebody who's endured, whatever word we're gonna use, the fall, and here you are, you know, at the, the beginning of 2021. Have you, what have you learned about yourself? Well, I think I've learned that I need to give myself more of a break, like, um, and I need to be more flexible. I think I need to focus definitely, and I do it with my students. I think maybe across contexts um, need to focus on people more than things, right? So developing those relationships. I, I had an answer for this and I'm looking through my notes and <laughs> it's out of order, Brianne. So I'm kind right. of like dabbling here, but um, you know, I, I think really this idea of just, just slowing down and enjoying the moment. And, you know, I, I've learned that I think in terms of myself, that sometimes I set standards that, you know, I've, I've got to be willing to be flexible with. Um, if I can't meet them, forgive myself for not meeting them. And, you know, it's okay to maybe sit on the couch for an hour with nothing to do instead of getting worried about what's not getting done. And, you know, just, just slowing down, I think. Yeah. The word that comes to mind when you say all that is grace, like give yourself yes. some grace. Yes. And I used to really think it's funny that this all happened the way it did today in this podcast, because I used to think about the words together, wisdom and grace, and that if everybody had both of those things, wisdom and grace, that mm. we all would be better. And I used to like hope for that in myself for each day, <laughs> that I could just have some, like the wisdom to know the next best thing, and then the grace to just do it mm -hmm. in a thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. So I like that both of those words came out today. Yes. Excellent. So Paula and Brianne, thank you both so much for participating in this half planned and half unplanned conversation <laughs> for our audience members out there. If you don't already know it, uh, Brianne, especially probably Paula's right up there. If we're ranking them, neither of them really love the unplanned uh, recorded episode. Um, so I appreciate that they were able to give themselves grace um, to do this. <laughs> And it was uh, really a pleasure to speak with both of you. So I think we'll wrap with just um, thanking everybody for joining us. Um, this is Tell Me This, our first episode in 2021. And I just want to leave you with uh, Renee Brown's thoughts, this idea that during a crisis, however you're defining that crisis, we can often pretend that we have nothing to learn, but there is always an opportunity to own the truth of the situation our truth. And as Paula reminds us to come to any situation with a beginner mindset, a willingness to learn the patience of, you know, to, to take the time to learn, then I think that we can, you know, create a better moment, a better future for ourselves, others, students, colleagues, friends. So I hope everybody continues to stay safe, wear your mask, even if you hate it, keep wearing that mask. 
Um, stay safe and listen to the podcast. And thanks so much again, Brianne and Paula. And this is Tell Me This. I am Karen Wilkowski. Take care. Want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.